And so wherever you are, you do not want to be someone on that day who is living a life at odds with kingdom values. I promise you, prior to this day, you will want to have dealt with your sin. This is Timeless Truth Today, and I'm your host, Matt Williams. Welcome to part two of Prepare the Way of the Lord, a series in eight parts by Pastor Paul Twiss. Pastor Paul is taking his congregation on a remarkable tour of the New Testament Gospel of Matthew that won't be completed for months. As such, this radio program won't stay with the study all the way through, but we will check in frequently. Today we are in chapter 3, and the author has introduced John the Baptist as a forerunner of Jesus Christ in verses 1 through 6. John the Baptist's first words, as presented by Matthew, are, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here's part 2 of Prepare the Way of the Lord. This afternoon we have the privilege of sharing a lunch together with many who are interested and eager to become members of this church. And we praise the Lord for these days of ministry at Bethany and all of the new folks that have joined us. It's my responsibility to make plain that this church believes repentance to be part and parcel of the gospel message. The whole membership process is a time where you get to know who we are as a church and we get to know who you are. And this is not a church that would sweep the doctrine of repentance under the rug. You can't go on living however you want if you're professing Jesus to be your savior. The very first thing that Matthew draws our attention to in the body of his gospel is the command from God that we repent of our sin. As part of that membership process, every new member will have an interview. If your interview is with me, I'll tell you today what some of the questions will be that I'll ask you. I'm telling you ahead of time. One question I always, always want to ask in a membership interview is tell me what has changed in your life since you have become a Christian. Tell me what your life was like before you knew the Lord. And now tell me where there's been some change. Because I want to see that there's been repentance I want to know that you're taking your sin seriously as the Lord takes it seriously. And I've done membership interviews before where people have struggled to answer that question. And now I'm concerned. Who is Jesus to you? He's just a a friend that makes you feel comfortable. You like what you get from him in terms of all of his benefits. Is he your Lord? Have you thought differently about your sin since professing Jesus as your Savior. The first call with which Matthew leads, the implication from seeing Jesus to be the king is that we would repent of our sin. Now, it's not without theological grounds. It's not without good reason that that we're called to repent. 
And the grounds, point number two, from the call to repent to the, the grounds of repentance, the grounds is seen through this quotation in the book of Isaiah. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, verse three, for this is he, John the Baptist, who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So you see at the beginning of verse 3, another one of those small words in the English language which wonderfully tells us so much. It is on this basis, it is for this reason that John preached the message he did. Why did John preach that message? Because, verse 3, Isaiah had first preached another message. So you have to link the two. You have to understand how one leads to the other. Now, we read the text this morning. It's helpful if we would just turn back there for a few minutes to see again Isaiah 40 in its context. Matthew is quoting from Isaiah chapter 40 so as to explain John's ministry, and his message. Isaiah 40 is a watershed moment in the book of Isaiah. If you divide Isaiah into two halves, the halfway line is right here. So 1 through 39 has the anticipation of judgment in view. God is telling his people, I'm going to judge you for your persistent sin And the Assyrians are the first superpower on the stage. And then as you move towards 39, the end of that first half, the Babylonians are brought into view. Then you cross the halfway line into 40. And now Isaiah the prophet projects forward to a time when the people will have been exiled. You were judged by God because of your sin. You are in exile in Babylon. And in that context... Isaiah the prophet says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. In the context of exile, he says, this prophecy is for those people. There is an end to the Lord's discipline. There is a horizon of comfort that I can speak to you. Your warfare is ended. Your iniquity has been dealt with, has been pardoned. And so there is a restoration, a return that is brought into view. Now, the immediate return from Babylon would have been what folks would have understood as they read this. But we know that was not the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy. It is not the immediate return from Babylon that these words have in view. We know that because the prophecy tells us something about the nature of this return. And with it comes the lifting up of every valley and the flattening of every mountain. Seismic geographical changes will happen at the time of the fulfillment of this prophecy. And so though the return from Babylon looked very similar, it is not actually the ultimate fulfillment of these words but rather they have properly understood a future salvation in mind. Yet to be fulfilled, when Jesus comes, there will be a rearrangement of this planet on seismic terms so that the valleys are lifted up and the mountains are brought low and the the crooked places are made plain. 
in order to prepare the way for the king. We have not seen anything like this. And so we anticipate this day of salvation that is still yet to come. And Matthew is showing us that Jesus will be the bringer of this kingdom. Jesus will be the bringer of this kingdom, the extent of which, the magnitude of which, the glory of which we cannot fathom. And the immediate inference, as Matthew quotes from this text, the immediate inference as it relates to your sin is simply this. You do not want to be found on that day easy with your sin, having never really dealt with your sin on the day that Jesus comes bringing this kingdom. The most immediate inference from Matthew's use of Isaiah is that on the day when this king comes and these things happen, you do not want to be one who is found at odds with kingdom values. This kingdom is going to take over the whole planet. It's not something that will be localized and you can flee over here so as to not have anything to do with it. Every single mountain will be made low. And so wherever you are, you do not want to be someone on that day who is living a life at odds with kingdom values. I promise you, prior to this day, you will want to have dealt with your sin. You will want to have repented of your sin and aligned your life with kingdom ethics so that when this kingdom comes, you rejoice. Now, there's more to it than that. That would be the immediate implication of Matthew's quotation of Isaiah. But now let's just look at one of the details. Verse 3, a voice cries in the wilderness, reading from Isaiah 40 here, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So Lord there in verse 3 most likely in your Bibles, is capital L-O-R-D. That's the translator's way of representing the covenant name of God, the covenant name that he used for Israel, namely Yahweh. In the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh, the almighty covenant-keeping God that led Israel out of Egypt, that has protected them and given them his covenant. Prepare the way of Yahweh, And then, just to make sure of the fact, he says, make a highway for our God. Now turn back to Matthew and see that quotation in the flow of the narrative. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Wonderfully. Matthew runs to Isaiah 40. He uses Isaiah 40, not simply to tell us that Jesus is the bringer of the kingdom, but so also to assert Jesus is God. You see how Isaiah 40 put Yahweh on display, our God. And Matthew uses that text to speak of Jesus. He says, make Jesus' path straight. And any of Matthew's original readers would have seen what Matthew is doing. This is an outrageous claim. This man, Jesus, is Yahweh. He is the covenant-keeping God of Israel. 
He is the one that drew them out of Israel. He is the one that has been with them in their years in the wilderness. This man is God. And so now there is an added level of implication as it relates to our repentance. Why do you repent of your sin? Because God tells you to. Because God commands that you do not live your life in rebellion to his commands. That is the most foundational reason that you would repent of your sin. For whatever other reason you might give, understand that you have to repent of your sin because God commands that you do not live in such a way that dishonors him. Now there's a problem a theological problem that arises from that, which is also addressed by this inference. The problem is you can't repent of your sin. In your own strength, in your own flesh, you can't do anything about your sin. You cannot turn from your sin in any meaningful, lasting way that truly honors the Lord in your own strength. In fact, the truth of the matter is, apart from God's work in your heart, you don't even acknowledge your sin for what it is. You don't even see it for the way it is, so you can't change your thoughts about it. Now, you might feel the misery that your sin brings. I think that is true of every single person in this room. To some degree in our lives, we have felt the misery that comes from our sin. And you might mourn that misery. You might bemoan the fact that your life is the way it is because of what you have done. But that is not the same as saying you then have the ability to change things. Rather, what is true of each and every one of us, apart from God's work of grace in our hearts, is that we keep returning to our sin. We love our sin. And we keep going back to it in sometimes different forms, oftentimes the same sin for a lifetime's worth of living, and you never get over it. So then how do we obey the command to repent? And wonderfully, the answer is given by acknowledging that Jesus is God. This is the, the, the key that unlocks the problem of our sin. You look to Jesus and in him you see God and you see someone who can give you the ability to truly turn away from your sin. As you look to Jesus Christ and you see the God man and you put your eyes of faith upon him and not elsewhere, you cast yourself upon Jesus, then and only then are the cords of bondage to your sin finally loosened. And now you can actually repent of your sin. This logic is not familiar to the biblical authors. And in fact, it is all the way through Isaiah. We read from chapter 40, but all the way back in chapter 6, we're introduced to the logic of seeing God in order to deal with our sin. The prophet himself has a vision of the Lord, and the, the order of the elements are so important. He sees the Lord. That's the first thing that happens. It is only upon seeing the Lord that the prophet acknowledges that he's a sinner. 
It doesn't happen the other way around. He doesn't say, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips, and then I saw the Lord. Nobody ever said that. The biblical method, the biblical blueprint is that you see the Lord. And upon seeing the Lord, then Isaiah says, I'm undone. My sin consumes me. And then the Lord cleanses him. Then the Lord gives him a new heart by which he can respond rightly to his sin. And so it must be with us to see Jesus as he truly is, God. And setting our eyes of faith upon him, embracing him as Lord and Savior, he then gives you the ability and the desire to truly turn from your sin. Now, I know that in saying that, it perhaps sounds very easy. I'll just confess in my prayer that Jesus is God. My whole life's going to change as a result. But you understand, even seeing Jesus as God is something that lies out with our ability. Even seeing him as God needs to be a God-given gift in our hearts. Consider the fact as a testimony of just how we are unable to do this. We are unable to make this confession. Consider just as a testimony all of the heresies throughout church history and all of the cults that exist around biblical Christianity. If you do a quick survey of church history, and you note in particular the church councils, when people got together to say, we have got to sort this out, nearly all of them are in response to a misteaching concerning one thing, the nature of Christ. Now, there's been some other heresies along the way, But I would say about 90% of the heresies that have plagued the church throughout its history have centered on the person of Christ. Because in and of ourselves, apart from any working of God's grace in our hearts, we don't want to ascribe to Jesus' deity. And so we find a way to subtly, ever so subtly, twist the truth about him, and now we're off onto a new trajectory and we just lost the gospel. Or consider the cults that exist around biblical Christianity today. It breaks my heart when the Jehovah Witnesses show up at my door because unlike other worldly religions, they are leading people to hell with a Bible in their hands. It is one of the saddest things to think that they are so zealous in going door to door, misleading people concerning eternal things with a Bible in their hands. And I will spend as long as they will give me hours with them to say, Jesus is God. And you have got to embrace this reality if you are going to do anything about your sin before your creator. And so, with all of that said, just by way of example of the fact you can't even make this confession apart from God's grace in your heart, would you pray that God would open your eyes to see Jesus as God 
I want to speak really specifically right now to anyone here that has never dealt with their sin. You might love coming to church, and we love you being here. You might love being here for so many good reasons. But if you haven't dealt with your sin, eternally speaking, you are no better off than anyone else in the world that has vehemently rejected Christ. You can fit in and say the right thing and look the part, but if you haven't dealt with your sin before God, there's no eternal benefit to your coming on a Sunday morning. And so if that is you, please would you pray with me as I have prayed for you this week that God would give you the gift of faith so as to see Jesus as God. Because that is where the doctrine of repentance must begin. Now, John moves on, point three, to talk about the certainty of repentance. Having shown us the call and then the theological grounds, he then ministers to us the certainty with which we must repent. Verse four, now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. I love this verse. (laughs) Did you ever notice just how out of place this verse is? Matthew's talking about repentance, eternally shaping truths. He's talking about the, the coming of the kingdom in Isaianic terms of mountains being flattened to the ground and valleys being lifted up. He's asserting the deity of Jesus Christ. And then he says, by the way, John had a belt and he ate locusts. It's so out of place. And as a, as a Bible studying tip, have your eyes open for these kind of things. It doesn't sit within the flow of these grand theological truths. So then John is wanting you to ask a question. You ought to ask, why did Matthew tell us this? He felt burdened to let us know of John's dress and his diet. It might be in your Bible that you have a cross-reference to the book of Kings. And that's a good cross-reference. Some of these cross-references are really, really helpful. What Matthew is doing by presenting to us the clothing and the diet of John the Baptist is he is presenting to us this forerunner in the likeness of the prophet Elijah. You're listening to Timeless Truth Today. Throughout his message today, Pastor Paul has pleaded with us to deal with our sin. The urgency of his words is in keeping with the gospel of Jesus Christ, first articulated in the New Testament by John the Baptist, Christ's forerunner. Shortly after the introduction of John the Baptist, we'll see Christ himself preaching a gospel of repentance. And you might be thinking, I thought the gospel meant good news, so what's all this about my sin? Well, the message of Christ is good news because his coming kingdom, God's kingdom, welcomes us as we are, but only if we first repent of our sins. Pastor Paul gave further insight into man's sin problem today by saying, quote, the problem is you can't repent of our own sin in your own strength, 
end quote. Our repentance comes only by being washed by the precious blood of Christ, your first gift when Christ asks you to follow him. There's more to hear and room to grow on our website, timelesstruthtoday.org. On the homepage, select Broadcasts for a free archive of Pastor Paul's teachings and programs you may have missed. Timeless Truth Today is a teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Twiss, a listener-supported outreach of Bethany Bible Church in Thousand Oaks, California. And remember, if you don't have a local church to attend, we encourage you and welcome you to worship with us every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. The church is located at 200 West Bethany Court in Thousand Oaks. Come back tomorrow for part three in our series, Prepare the Way of the Lord. I'm Matt Williams. Thank you for listening to Timeless Truth Today.